The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. We're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. This week, we have a super special story, but I am going to start off by giving everybody a little trigger warning. This story is by far the most disturbed story we've covered so far. Yeah, this is another story that Gina and I, well, Gina didn't have me, but I watched a movie with her and just this, the amount of... Graphic content in this one kind of got to me. That's why you guys heard the special intro to the to this week's episode. Definitely. So, just a fair warning. Um, there's going to be graphic details of horrific acts, and it may be hard to listen to at some point. So, I just I wanted to kind of get that out of the way ahead of time. Yeah. If if you if you're one of those people that decide to listen to this with your kids, because I know some of you guys do. And I'm not judging. My kids yeah. listen to it, too. Um, this is not the story for them to listen to. So, this is the story of Sylvia Likens, and she, um, the title of our blog post this week is Tortured to Death, and you'll understand why as we get into this story. Right. So, Sylvia Marie Likens was born January 3rd of 1949 to Lester and Betty Likens. Lester and Betty had already had twins before they had Sylvia. They were named Danny and Diana. And after they had Sylvia, they had another set of boy-girl twins, Benny and Jenny. How do you get so unlucky to have two sets of twins? Well, two sets of twins that are both boy-girl, too. It's just kind of unique. Yeah. Um, So they obviously weren't identical twins, you know? So just... What's that considered fraternal then? Yeah. So, I mean, she just must be somewhat like a super ovulator or something. Like, well, you know, you, that's Okay, really so, singles. you know, like the whole middle child complex. Right. Like, can you she imagine being it, like, the middle child complex between two sets of twins? Exactly. I mean, poor girl, I feel sorry for her. As a middle child, I sympathize, but it wasn't even like that for me. Older so, children unite. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, So Sylvia, you know, she's not only the only child, but she's the only one without a twin. So, but what ended up happening was Benny and Jenny were only like a year and a half younger than her. And her and her sister Jenny became very close. Now, remember that this is back in the 1950s and 1960s. And like some of the things in this story, I kind of had to raise an eyebrow and I'm like, who would do that? But I'm trying like, to remember it's a different time period. Oh, it, it's, it's it's a very different time period. I mean... So, you know, as Sylvia's parents start to have marital issues, um, you know, her father and her mother, they often worked with, like, touring carnivals. Yeah, so they would be on the road. The and carnies. And, yeah. And a lot of times they would take their kids with them. Um you know, so the the kids really didn't have a whole lot of stability. And by the time Sylvia was 16, she actually had dropped out of school. And, um, you know, her 
it, it was kind of odd because her older set of t- siblings, Danny and Diana, they were like 18, 19. And from everything I can tell in my research, they were already like living on their own, which, okay. And then I'm not really sure where her brother Benny was at this time. They don't really, it doesn't really say anywhere. Like He was, he was with the Jets, baby. Oh, Jesus. Benny and the Jets. Ay, yeah, yeah. Sorry for the interruption from Elton John here. <laughs> He's really cracking himself okay, up. Okay, I'm sorry. That was just that that got me in the weird space. It tickled my fancy. Oh, good lord! <laughs> so you know, by the summer of 1965, or I should say, really the um, spring of 1965. Sylvia's 16, her sister Jenny is 15, her brother Benny is 15, but we're not really sure where he's at. And her parents um, were separated and they decided they were going to reconcile. And in the process of that, they wanted to go back on the road in the carnival circuit during the summer of 1965. Um, But Betty was really concerned because she didn't want to disrupt her children's lives. She really didn't want to take Sylvia and Jenny back on the road with them. They thought that it would be better if she was staying, you know, they were staying in their hometown, which their hometown, where we're talking about here, would be Indianapolis, Indiana. That's Um, a hometown. They were too young to take care of themselves because they were only 15 and 16. So... If Betty was going to go back out on the carnival circuit with her husband, she had to find an adult that would take care of Jenny and Sylvia. And at some point in time, the girls met the Banachewski girls at church. Um, They quickly made friends with Marie, Shirley, Stephanie, and Paula. Those were the four Banachewski girls. Their mother, Gertrude Banachewski, she decided that she would take the girls in while their parents were away. And she made that offer to Lester Likens that she would she would look after the girls for $20 a week. And he agreed. Now, mind you, $20 a week sounds like nothing. But it was actually pretty significant. Yeah, we did, like, when we were watching the movie, I because I was like, wow, that doesn't seem like a lot, you know. To be t- you know, but then we got to remember that it's 1965, and $20 a week was actually equivalent to around $200. Yeah, so it's pretty significant. Um, and Gertrude Banachewski, she was a 37-year-old divorcee. She lived with her children in a two-story house in Indianapolis. She had first married John Banachewski, who was a police officer, in 1945, and they had four children, Paula... Stephanie, Johnny, and Marie. They split up for a, a little while, and Gertie, is, that's what they call Gertrude, was Gertie. Um, she lived with another man for a while, and it didn't really work out, so she decided to reconcile with John. And after she did that, they, she had two more b- children with John Banachewski, Shirley and James. But it didn't work out. And in 1963, John and Gertie divorced. Gertie then lived with a man that she um, was having a relationship with. And this guy was just like a few years older than her daughter, Paula. So a little, not, not illegal, but a little creepy. 
a lot creepy. Um, and with this man, Dennis Wright, she actually had another son that she named Dennis Wright Jr. She became pregnant again in 1965 in the spring, but she had a miscarriage in April of that year. And around that time, Dennis Wright Sr. left her. And so here's this 37-year-old woman who is alone raising seven children. And this is before, like, child support was a mandatory thing. You know, I don't know if... And there really wasn't any consequences back then. Like, even if you had a child support order, if if they didn't pay it, they didn't pay Like, there wasn't anything to, like, this is when force they, the hand. Right. And this was, like, that time where they're considered, oh, the men can do no wrong kind of thing. Yeah. You know? And it, it sucks. Like, I, I... Yeah. Gertie was... She got the shit end of a stick with that one. Seven kids. Right. And, you know, with her youngest being still a baby... She really couldn't go out and work. She had kids at home that, you know, she had to take care of. So she couldn't go out and get like a full-time job. What she did do was she would take in ironing for people. And that's how she would support herself. But the family was living in poverty. God, I I couldn't imagine, like, like, it was just a different time back then. Right. You know, because how many people today, like, honestly, like, be honest, how many people today actually iron anything? I can't remember the last time I ironed some. I was throw it in the dryer, but right. they probably didn't even have a dryer. Well, this and I, I you guess know what the, I mean. Like they, they're right. line drying their clothes. And I guess this is back in a time where like men wore like collared shirts all the time. Well, you starched your clothes and yeah. I mean, just the, the fact that somebody could make month like somewhat of a living being a dry cleaner, basically. Right. You know. Now, mind you, they were living in poverty. Um, Paula, the oldest, um, she was about 16 or 17. She actually brought some money in. She worked at, I think it was a restaurant. Yeah, it was a restaurant. And so she made a little bit of money. Um, and Gertie also collected some child support from the fathers of her children, but it wasn't anything that was like substantial. And again, it was very irregular and they couldn't, there was nothing to enforce it. You know, like that stuff didn't happen until the 1980s where they started making laws to really force divorced men to to take care of their kids as horrible as that sounds and it's not just men it's women too but you know you get my gist um the family lived like i said definitely in poverty gertie had significant medical issues she had been diagnosed with anxiety um but it actually wasn't called anxiety then it was called nervous disorder she also struggled with asthma. She was visibly short of breath very frequently, but she was also a heavy smoker. And she weighed less than 100 pounds. She looked generally just like weak and frail. And as a nurse, is screaming to me like, this is a copd or copd or emphysema. copd or you know, know, they're so short of breath all the time that they don't eat. So they often are like tiny little skinny people yeah, and, and they can't breathe. And, and there's a picture on the blog post of Gertie and you could just look at her and you're like wow that that is somebody that is malnourished and just she just looks like a COPD patient right. that's the nurse in me coming out right you know and, and she's only 37 and I mean I know it's hard when you're looking at pictures like so long ago you know because the 1960s that was like 60 years ago almost yeah 55 years ago you know, so it's kind of hard to tell. But to me, she looks way older than 37. Yeah, she looks like she's about 50. 
Um, on July 5th, 1965, Lester agrees to leave his daughters Jenny and Sylvia with Gertrude in exchange for the $20 a week. Which boggles my mind. Right, because he didn't know her before. Like, this is just somebody that your daughters met, like, your daughters met their kids at church. Right, so... And, oh, you want to keep my kids for a couple of months? Okay, sure. Like, right. There was no, like, getting to know, investigating the situation. And, yeah, it's just, it's, like I said, there's a couple things I'm just like, huh? Why would anybody do that? Right. You know, but I, and like you know I how, said, they how, also have this 15-year-old son that I still am not 100% sure where he even was. Right. I mean, if you look at it nowadays... It's just crazy. Like, you they didn't at, know where their kids were. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it nowadays, hell, even, like, babysitters have to be vetted. Yeah. You know? I mean, honestly, if we were going to have somebody watch our kids, you know, we would go through, like, okay, I want your background check. I want a urine sample, a hair sample, blood Like, yeah. you know? But back then, it's just like, oh, you seem nice because you go to church. Well, and I think they probably thought, too, well, this is a mom of seven kids... She knows how to take care of kids. Right. I mean, they probably just assumed, you know. Oh, two more ain't going to do nothing for her. Right. So, you know, and at first the girls were excited. It was like having a big sleepover with the four Banachewski girls. They had fun. They they talked. They laughed. They shared secrets. Had boy talks. Um, right. Ooh. Exactly. So, like, at first it was just like a big old sleepover and it was fun. But, like, very quickly, you know, they left on the 5th. By the 11th. The second payment for the second week of the room and board from the Lester and Betty Likens was late for to Gertrude. And she got furious. So what she decided to do, because the check had not came in the mail yet, was to punish the girls. So Jenny and Sylvia were bent over a chair... And hit with a fraternity-style paddle because their parents' check was late in the mail. Well, this one was just a belt. Like, the first time they were just beat with a belt, I think. You may be correct. You know, yeah. It was the first time it was yes, a belt. Yes, you're correct. So, but she still. hit him with the belt. So, I'm still, like, trying to find the logic in this. Like, does, is beating these girls going to make this check magically appear? Right, and... And there's two, there's two. She also told the girls not to tell anybody, including their parents. So it's not like they were, I, I, I'm just a struggle with the logic. Well, here. there's two caveats to this that I had, like when we, when I first heard about it, like one, you're punishing somebody else for somebody, for something the parents did. Right. You know, like, and it's not even, so punishing them, like the parents aren't even going to be able to see like, you know, it's not like... Right, and they were forbidden for talking about it, so it's not right. like they can call and be like, Mom, I'm going to get hit if you don't send this. Send right. it. And then, too, like, this is a time... Like, nowadays, people are so accustomed to next-day mail, overnight delivery, stuff like that. Right. This is a time where the mail took two, three, four weeks... You know, hell, remember when we were growing up, you know, you'd see the ad on the TV for the latest and coolest thing for a toy, you know. Yeah, and you'd four to six weeks delivery you know, you know, or something. Like, you know, and then you got to pay shipping and handling. And, like, and that was in the 80s, 90s. Like, this is back in the 60s. Like, the mail yeah. system was still, like, it's slow. And to think, I mean, I don't know exactly how late the payment was, 
But damn. Well, like, it couldn't have been that late because he dropped him off on the 5th. And so this was six days later. Like, in how, like, so I don't, I don't even know that I would necessarily say it was late unless it was like they had some sort of agreement beforehand. Yeah. It, it, it just, it's like, just odd. Right. It doesn't make any sense. It defies logic. And, you know, unfortunately, even though Sylvia and Jenny both got hit that first time, by the end of July, Sylvia was punished by Gertie again, this time with the fraternity-style paddle, and nobody really knows why. Now, what's important to know is that Jenny, the 15-year-old sister, she had been a victim of polio, so she had braces on her legs, um, and so that maybe saved her from some of these quote-unquote punishments. Right. Because she was like, God disabled. forbid you freaking survived a disastrous freaking disease, you know. But that's your that's the thing that saved you from beating is because you because you survived a disease that killed so many damn people back then. Right. So late in July, something else happened. Sylvia and Paula Banachewski had grown really super close, and Sylvia learned that Paula was pregnant. Now, remember, Paula is 17. She's unmarried. This was a much bigger deal in the 1960s than it would have been today. Was, was Paula still in school? Like, still in high school? So... Or was she working full-time? So, at this point in time, it's late July. So, she's not in school. But when the fall came, both of the girls went back to school. Okay. I didn't know if she was um, still... Like, I didn't know if she was... I couldn't remember if she was school... Like, school, like, still in school, or if she, you know, did like a lot of people did back then and stopped school at a certain period and just worked. Right. Okay. Um, so, what? how she got pregnant, months earlier, she had actually ran off briefly with a married man, which is crazy. So, like, again, this is where I've got to kind of try to wrap my head around this. I think being a different time maybe would be part of it, but... Also, maybe just the lifestyle they were accustomed to. So, at the time, she would have been 16, maybe 17. Right. And she ran off with a pregnant, or with a married man. Which, did we ever, did we know what, the, like, how old that guy was? Was it, like, somebody that was in his early 20s, late 20s? I'm not sure. But I know that he was a married man. And so, like, if my 16 or 17-year-old daughter ran off with any man. Somebody's dead. Right, like you're calling the police, you're making a big deal out of it. From what I can tell, like Gertie just kind of waited for her to come back. Like I don't know, maybe this was more like, normal in the sixties. Like, like so, okay. like a like a cat that escapes, like a like a the house cat well, that gets out. Well, she'll be back. She'll come back, but in all most of the time, the cats come back pregnant. Well, so did Paula. <laughs> um, so Paula was really afraid to tell her mom. Her mom had been a young mother. And, you know, she was just scared to death. She didn't want to disappoint her mom. She didn't want to upset her mom. And plus, like I said, 1960s, being unwed and pregnant was a big deal. Yeah. There was an enormous stigma put on you. So, you know, she swears Sylvia to secrecy. But as soon, you know, as soon as she does that, people start to talk. And the rumors start to spread. Now, the way it's depicted in the movie, 
I don't know is a hundred if that is a hundred percent factual. It doesn't really exactly say how this rumor started or if Sylvia started the rumor or why. Now in the movie it's portrayed like she's sort of defending her, but I found nothing in my research that like says that that is exactly what happened. It may be what happened. I don't know. It may be possible that a 16 year old girl found a little bit of juicy gossip and told somebody that's completely possible, right. you know, but for whatever reason, these rumors start to go around town and Paula just gets uh, very upset with Sylvia and she starts crying and she goes to her mother and she tells her mother that Sylvia is spreading lies about her at school and in the neighborhood with the neighborhood kids. So Gertie gets really upset and she decides that Sylvia needs to be punished. So when the kids come home from church, she tells them all that they need to have a family meeting. And at this point, she announces that Sylvia is spreading lies about her daughter. And she tells Paula that Sylvia needs to be punished and that she felt like Paula needed to, quote, solve her own problems, end quote. And she tells her daughter to hit Sylvia. Paula punched Sylvia so hard in the face that she broke her own wrist. That's fucked up. And her mother sat there and encouraged it. Later on in August, Sylvia and Jenny gathered some bottles and they turned them in for a little money. So... You know, they're picking up, like, the bottles and right. stuff at the park going right. and turning This is back in. at a time when bottles actually got recycled. Right. So, you know, they did that to, to get a little bit of money. But the Banachewski children were jealous that the girls had gotten a little bit of money. And so they told their mother. And Gertie insisted that they must have stole this money. Which pisses me off because, like, if you're so jealous, then go do the damn thing, too. Right. Like, go cut, like, go collect your own bottles, like. Well, and I wonder, too, if these kids are living in such a low level of poverty, which is very indicated in all of my research, that they were very, very poor. You know, if they just, they just didn't know how to handle that. You know what right. I mean? So, Jenny, who, like I said, wore the braces because of her history with polio, she really wasn't severely punished, but Gertie puts the blame on Sylvia. And basically she says that Sylvia is being a bad influence on her little sister as well as the Banachewski kids. And so she decides that she's going to punish her for what she considered being a thief. So what she does, she burnt her fingertips and told her that this would prevent her from having sticky fingers now like the movie did a great job of depicting this to the point where like i cringed a little bit mm -hmm. like we've all burnt our fingers like cooking or something like that right she deliberately had all 10 fingers burned at the same time i can't imagine the amount of pain that she was in just from that no you know like, forget the beatings, forget, like, that right there shows how sadistic this Gertie is. is. Yeah. Like, and it's just, like, it boggles my mind that, that, like, oh, you have sticky fingers, 
we're going to make you burn them. Like, it's like, I get, the, I can kind of see where you're going, like, mentally with the, but damn, like. Right. And this is a time where, you know, corporal punishment was widely accepted. Yeah. Like. You know, but, like, it just, it just goes a little far. Yeah, that's a, a little much. Um, and during that month, the parents of Sylvia and Jenny actually visited their daughters, but they didn't really notice anything concerning. And it's important to know, too, that the girls were, like, they were scared to death of getting punished again. So, you know, a lot of people ask later, like, why didn't they just tell their, their parents that they were being abused? Because at this point, they are being abused. Um, or at least Sylvia's being abused. Yeah. Jenny has been abused at least once that we know of. You know, but they have to live with this woman when they leave. And, you know, they're probably scared to death. Yeah. And this is where it gets weird. So in August of, of 1965, Gertie was arrested because she failed to pay the paper boy. It's a different time, people. I guess that's, I guess that would be thief. Like yeah, it's being a thief. A thief being, it's theft. Yeah. Like petty theft. But, I mean, it's still... I mean, you're getting something for, and not paying for it, so. Just weird. But, anyway, so she was arrested. Um, and this was really minor, though, compared to the awful, awful things that she was doing in her own home. So, it's just kind of ironic that she got arrested for something so trivial. But, you know, this family goes to church on Sundays, but as soon as church is over, all that Bible stuff seemed to go right well, out the window. And here's the thing. So, I'm not taking Gertie's side, but, like, strict pe- like people that are strict to the Bible's word, like, this punishment kind of lines up with it. Like, the whole eye for an eye thing kind of punishment, you know? Like, you saw, like... You know, if the root of your problem is your hands, you cut off your hands, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, so yeah, if she's being, if she's stealing, if she quote air quote stealing, then yeah, we're gonna burn her fingertips. Ugh. You know, like I can kind of see where, yeah, I mean, granted, they totally took the readings that they were reading in church and kind of overdid them. Definitely. But I could see where how Gertie's punishments were kind of rooted in. By, like, you know what I'm saying? At least at this point. Right. So, but by late August, the neighbors had began to notice that Paula, the 17-year-old, was frequently hitting and abusing Sylvia. And most of the time, not only was this behavior tolerated by her mother, it was she was being cheered on by her mother. To hit this girl and punch this girl and kick this girl and just be ridiculously abusive. Which kind of pisses me off. But nobody reports it. Because, and it, it's... And it, it was one of those things, you mind your own business. Like, right. you gotta remember, this is the 1960s where men would beat their wives and it was like, well, what happens right. in their home is their business. And, that, and that's what kind of pisses me off is that, you know, at this point in time, you know, you never, you never mess with other people's households. Yeah. You know, and it, it just sickens me, though. Like, that none of these people, even though it is that time, like, nobody had, the, like, a heart or decency to just be like, hey, that... That doesn't th- seem th- right. That doesn't seem right there, guys. Or at the very least, 
you would think when the Lycans visited, they would have maybe said something to the parents like, I'm not really sure if the girls are okay or something. Right. You know, it just seems crazy to me that nobody did anything. In September, at this point, all the kids are back in school. So the good thing is that Sylvia, like I said earlier, she had actually dropped out of school the year before. She did go back to school and she started working in the school cafeteria, which she really enjoyed. But the reason she enjoyed it, because when she worked at the cafeteria, she was guaranteed to get at least one meal per day. At home, she was being starved. Like, how pathetic is that? Yeah. That you have to take a, a job helping in the cafeteria to make sure that you get food. And you're getting, like, the person that's starving you is getting paid money to starve you. Right. So, on a daily basis, Paula and Gertie would hit Sylvia with a paddle, with a leather belt, and other items around the house. Gertie often called her a prostitute and told her that she must be pregnant because she, quote, messed with boys, end quote. Well, I don't know how she'd be pregnant with all the beating that she was getting at this point. Right. Well, see, and the thing is, is like, Gertie was flirting with younger boys, like, minor children boys not i don't know that she was doing anything but she was like flirty with them and stuff and i think if they even talked to sylvia she would be like jealous or something you know and then she would accuse uh, sylvia of being a whore right and we gotta reiterate at this point sylvia was getting uh, like daily beatings yes like let's reiterate that sylvia was getting daily beatings and it wasn't because the payments were late or she was stealing things. She was just their punching bag. And she was their punching bag. Or because Gertie had some strange fucked up thing in her mind that Sylvia was doing something and becoming a whore and that, that she had to beat the whore out of her. And that she had spread rumors about Paula. And it's really crazy too because um, Gertie even tells a neighbor that... Sylvia must be pregnant because she hadn't had a period since she had been staying with the Banacheskis. But if you're starving someone, malnutrition, like people that are anorexic, though, the women yeah. will stop having a menstrual cycle because they're being starved. And if you're 16, you may not have regular things anyway. Yeah, like that doesn't become a regular thing until you're like in your 20s or... At least 18, you And know? to be completely honest, before we had hormones and all this other shit in our food, it wasn't that uncommon even for a 16-year-old to just be getting their first periods and stuff. Like, it wasn't, right. it wasn't like it is today where, like, 10-year-olds have their periods. Like, I don't know. So, it's, it's just crazy. Neighborhood children started frequenting the Banachewski house. Like, their house became, well, and it kind of was, like... With seven kids, their house was just like the house that all the neighborhood kids came to. But by the time the fall of 65 came around, the other kids in the neighborhood started having altercations with Sylvia. A neighbor girl kicked her in the stomach. And when she did this, Sylvia shouted, oh, my baby. So it seems like she believed what Gertie was telling her about being pregnant But later, it would be confirmed that Sylvia had never been pregnant. 
So I'm just going to put that out there. Right. You know, but it seems like she even was believing these things that Gertie was telling her. Um, and she may or may not have even understood what how somebody gets pregnant. Right. You know? And, like, so once again, now she's getting, like, she continues to get the daily beatings from Paula and Gertie. And now she's getting beat by neighborhood kids. Right. So police come and they visit the house in September when Marie was 11 because Marie cut her hand. So this is the 11-year-old Banachewski girl. She had to cut her hand. And so the police had shown up. And it's not really clear, like, what story they gave police, but it didn't arise any arouse any suspicion. But in reality, Marie had injured herself when she was, quote, unquote, punishing Sylvia Likens. So how does an 11-year-old cut her hand severe enough where you're calling authorities, you know, police, but I'm assuming it was more for like an emergency 911 kind of call? Yeah, well, you got to remember, this is like, when this is happening, EMS really wasn't a thing. Right. You know, so cut it bad enough that you needed medical assistance by punishing someone and how exactly that happened is really unknown right but at this point johnny paula shirley and marie banicheski were all helping whip sylvia and they were even burning her with cigarettes on a daily basis on october 5th lester and betty visited once again um, and they gave sylvia money so that she could go and buy new shoes and they told their daughters they'd be back in three weeks to pick up their their girls. So they had three weeks left in this Banachewski house. Now, the only thing I'm not 100% sure about is at this point, Sylvia was being starved. She was being punched and kicked and hit and burned with cigarettes somewhat regularly. I just don't understand how her parents didn't see anything. Not unless she was... Not unless, I don't know. I really don't know. You would think they're, I, I because, don't know. I mean, I could see how maybe Paula and Gertie would hit or kick her places where it couldn't be visible. But you can't tell me that the kids did that. Right. I don't know. It just seems like there should have been a sign. But maybe it was explained away. You know, maybe it was, oh, she got in a fight with a neighborhood girl. Right. Well, okay. I mean, I don't know. Um, but the very next day, October 6th, would be Sylvia's last day at school. At that point, she was forced into the basement and restrained for quote-unquote being dirty and was not allowed upstairs. And it's not really clear what being dirty meant except for there was a time or two where she had incontinence episodes that were later attributed to a kidney injury sustained in one of her multiple beatings. But also, it's thought that this being dirty was in reference to being, like, like sexually, fully, yeah. like, being a whore. Uh, that's, what I, that's what I thought it was. And I think that was probably the primary thing. Um, Gertrude began bathing her, but she was bathing her in school scalding hot water and causing severe burns all over this girl's skin all over damn she would dump her in this scalding hot water 
and force her to stay in it as long as possible. The other Banachewski children were all assisting their mother, with the exception of the baby. Well, yeah, hopefully the baby couldn't do anything. The other six kids were all being encouraged and instructed to assist in the punishments, as they were called. Gertie told the children that Sylvia deserved to be punished because she was wetting the bed. And like I said, this was later determined to be a result of a kidney injury because she was being abused. And some of the kids were using her to do what they call judo flips. And like they were just doing it for their entertainment. You know, like like a when you're watching like a wrestling match, except for she wasn't wrestling. She was just the one they were flipping and throwing around the right. house. On October 15th, a public health nurse visited the home. So this would be similar to like DCFS. Yeah. Um, they were told that one of the children in the house had, quote, open sores, end quote. The nurse spoke with Gertie and Gertie told them that they that she knew what they were there for. She said the only person in that house who had had any open sores at any point in time was Sylvia because she was dirty. And she said that Sylvia was no longer staying there and she had ran away. The public health nurse took Gertie's word for it and decided there wasn't any follow up needed and so she left and she filed what was called at that time like a one-time visit card basically saying i went i visited there's nothing going on so like here's the other thing that like blows my mind and i know it's a difference in times but this 16 year old girl who you're boarding for her parents supposedly disappeared ran away Yet, the authorities don't attempt to contact her parents. They don't open a missing person case. Like, nothing. Right. And the whole time, she's tied up in the damn basement. Right. Like, it just blows my mind the difference in times. At times, Sylvia was pushed down the stairs. Like I said earlier, she was bathed in scalding hot water, and that was continuing. She was burned with cigarettes. She was beat with a paddle. She was beat with a belt. She was punched in the face. The children, including the Banachewski children and several neighborhood children, would kick her, beat her, practice these judo flips. Coy Hubbard, who was Stephanie Banachewski's boyfriend, was one of the main participants at this point. He liked to come over and he would just punch her in the face for no reason. No reason whatsoever. It just became like a thing they did. The neighborhood kids would come over to, quote, have fun with Sylvia, end quote. You know, like coming over to play a new video game. But instead of playing a new video game, they were going down into the Banachewski's basement and beating the crap out of a girl. Uh, Ricky Hobbs, who was another teenage neighbor, he had been hanging around the house a lot with Gertie. And there were a lot of people that thought there may have been a sexual relationship between the two. It's important to know that Ricky Hobbs was like 15 years old. Right. Um, And there was never, ever any evidence of that, but it was strongly suggested. So, you know, you've got these Banachewski children, six out of seven of them, plus all of their neighborhood friends coming over. Just taking turns. Yep, just taking turns, beating her, punching her, 
And it wasn't like they just stopped, like, on random days either. Like, it was pretty much every day. Right. You know, and, and so when the new kids would come over that hadn't been there before, you know, and they would say, like, you know, why, why are you doing that? You know, they'd be like, it's all right. Mama said we could. It was Which just is so messed up. It was just like a new video game, but it's Mama said torture. it's okay, so we're just going to keep on doing like. And damn, like the morality, like the morals that these kids have too, and not just the Bandicheski children, any of the children, right? You know, and and none of them. Like, how many of those kids be- turned out to become like serial killers or some shit? Yeah, it's just it's insane to me. I just can't imagine it. And then, you know, like I said, not only was Gertrude Banachewski no knew this was going on, she encouraged it. She thought it was funny. You know, they said she'd come down to the basement and and get the laundry or whatever she had to do down there. And they'd be down there just punching this girl in the face and burning her with cigarettes. And she'd just walk upstairs like it was no big like, deal. Like, yeah, no big deal. Not like, go ahead, kids. You keep, you keep having fun. And just to let you know, like, how sadistic these kids really were on October 22nd Johnny Banachewski gave Sylvia some soup which sounds at first like a a nice thing right because she's starving to death but it wasn't he gave her this soup but forced her to eat the soup with her fingers while they laughed at her now mind you she's starving so of course she's you know she doesn't care about her dignity at this point She's just trying to get whatever nutrition in. The, it, it was just so sick and twisted and sadistic. It, it's difficult. Like, I'm having difficulty even telling the story at this point. Because I just know how horrible this is. And it just, like, you think that after all this that it would be, like, like oh, that's the worst of We're it, We're not right? even at the worst of it. Like, that's not. It's... The only other food that they gave Sylvia at this point was they would give her feces out of the baby's diaper and cups of their own urine and make her drink it if she wanted something to eat or drink. They insisted that Sylvia was a prostitute and Gertie at one point got so upset with her and just was telling everybody how dirty she was And so she decided she was going to teach her a lesson and she inserted a Pepsi bottle into Sylvia's vagina on numerous occasions in October while the other children were made to watch. Like that just hurts. What the fuck? Like you've taken everything from this girl and you've done everything to this girl. And then you force, like, you rape her with a bottle in front of God and everybody. You know, and you know, she claimed that she wanted to protect her children from Sylvia because Sylvia was such a bad girl and all these things. But, like, what you subjected your children to? Are you freaking kidding me? Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, like, it boggles my mind that, like, nobody said anything. At any point. And like kids have the... big freaking mouths. But then again, this is a different generation that was much more afraid St- of their parents. Still, though. You know? Like, no, like none of the neighborhood kids, like, everybody, like, none of them said anything. And you gotta, you know, you know that, like, 
you give a kid a rumor, it spreads like wildfire. There had to been like somebody at school that said, "Hey, you know what we do after school?" Well, we yeah, because they kept sh- bringing more kids over to enjoy it to join their party. Like, like it, it just boggles my mind that none of them had a heart at this point. No, like nobody gave a shit because they were brainwashed by Gertie into believing that she deserved this. Well, and I just wonder, like, obviously I wasn't alive in the 60s, so I can't attest to this, but, like, was it such a time of blindly following your parents that if your parents said something was okay, you just assumed it was okay? Like, I I don't know. I can't can't, imagine that. I mean, I just, I can't either. Because it, it boggles my mind that there was nobody, not a single person, not a single soul. Including her own sister, which we'll get to, but... You know, I, I understand that her sister probably was scared to death for her own safety. Right. I mean, if but you, you got to remember, her sister, while they never said that she participated, she watched all of this happen. Wasn't she forced to on a couple of I occasions? I think that she was on a couple of occasions, but, you know, she was watching all of this happen. You know, I don't know. It just, it blows my mind. And it only gets worse. Like, this still isn't even the worst part. No. On October 23rd, Gertie decided she, she was just infuriated once again with Sylvia. Why for the life of me, I have no idea. Because at this point, this girl has been locked in her basement for weeks. So it's not like she could have done anything wrong. But she decides it's time to show the world that Sylvia is a prostitute. And so she heats a needle and she starts branding Sylvia. But she gets short of breath and weak. And so she tells Ricky Hobbs, the 15-year-old neighbor, to complete this tattoo job. And what they do with this heated needle is they carve the words, quote, I'm a prostitute and proud of it onto this girl's abdomen. And I'm going to warn you, there is a picture on the blog post that is actually her abdomen um, and it's awful. And then they also took a branding iron and they branded what in, in the book that I read about this case, they thought that it was probably supposed to be an S for slut, but they did it wrong, and it looks like a number three. Okay. I was wondering, because that's what I was wondering about that. Yeah, because it was like um, a crescent moon shape. Oh, like a horseshoe shape. Right, so they had to do it twice, and they think that they just messed up. And they ended up doing... How the fuck? How, like, there are devil-worshipping cults that murder cats that give more respect to the cat. Oh, yeah. At this point. I mean, this is just, this is, like I said in the beginning, this is by far the most horrific story. Like, fuck what I said about them in the whole Bible thing. Like, at this point, there's nothing at this point. Mm -mm. They're just torturing her for the fun of it. Like, and that's what it is. It's torture. Yep. And it's not even, like, it's not even like they're trying to get something out of her. Nope. They're just torturing her because they want to. Sylvia, at this point, was forced to write two letters, and these letters were written like confessions, 
And basically they were, you know, saying how she was nothing but trouble, that she had stole things, that she had disobeyed Gertie, she had cost Gertie money and numerous other like stupid little things that she was supposedly confessing to. And these were letters that were like written for her parents. And after she completed the letters, Coy Hubbard hit her with a broomstick in the head so hard that he knocked her unconscious. At this point, Gertie told Ricky Hobbs that they had to, quote, get rid of, end quote, Sylvia. Ricky later told authorities that he believed the plan was that they were going to dump her in the woods to die. So at like, this point, she's so weak, they know she's going to die. Like, you couldn't even be merciful and just fucking kill her like and i hate this i hate to put it that way right but at this point in time death would be mercy right they were but just you could, letting her suffer you were gonna just like throw her in the woods and just fucking like fuck you we're just gonna go about our business like you never existed yeah it's like just, it's disgusting <clears throat> it's beyond disgusting and despicable but they never even had the chance to do that because on October 26th, now remember, on the 25th, they told their daughters they'd be back in three weeks, which would have been October 26th. On the morning of October 26th, the children found Sylvia not breathing and without a pulse. They panicked. They started screaming. They told their mother something was wrong. But Gertie told them that Sylvia was faking and she wasn't dead. What kind of medicine was Gertie on? Oh, we'll get to that. Okay, because, like, how the fuck, like, you have to be on some fucking high power shit to just not give a shit. And she just thought, she's like, oh no, she's faking it. Um, But the kids at this point proved that they were not, you know, completely ruled by Gertie because Ricky Hobbs went and called the police. So, obviously, they could think outside of her thinking for them because they did it on the day that Sylvia passed away. Right. And she died on October 26, 1965, at the age of 16. Her official cause of death was a brain hemorrhage, malnutrition, and hypovolemic shock. So, what that means is, as far as hypovolemic shock, that means she literally didn't have enough fluids in her body. She, yeah, her. she dehydrated to the point that it killed her, which is extremely hard to do. Right. I mean... you can. It can also be used if you're bleeding, though, hypovolemic shock. Right. But this is, like, her blood became so thick, you know, that the body just couldn't freaking... Like, it couldn't do nothing with it. I'm sorry, folks. Like, yeah, we get pissed off when we can't have water after a while, but... Damn, you go for weeks without water. And especially if they're, like, force-feeding her, urine is the only... Like, that's just going to dehydrate you quicker. <clears throat> Sorry. You know? Like, and eating feces. Shit. Literally. Shit. Like, I... I, I cried when we watched this movie. It's hard not like, to because it's so horrific. Like, and I think the movie, like... what Like, and I'm going to kind of sidetrack... With the movie, what got to me was that they did the whole her escaping, mm-hmm. you know, and finally being free, but it wasn't her, like, and then you just get sucked back to the reality that she's, that she died. Yeah. Like, 
that got me like I'm a big I I I'm a big teddy bear. Like <laughs> he is, he's like, my teddy bear. I, I cry, and I cried watching this movie because it just felt like you f- you feel so fucking bad. It's just like for this for this girl. It's just like it's disgusting. not even it's not even a woman. It's not this, this is a girl. This is a sixteen year old. I mean, we have a sixteen year old daughter, and I just can't imagine anything that a sixteen year old could do. To cause me like to to get you so infuriated that you you allow encourage and participate in torture like this. Her body revealed over one hundred and fifty wounds. These wounds included burns, muscle damage, nerve damage, swollen vaginal tissue. Her fingernails were broken off backwards. And she had bitten through her lips. I just, like... You know, you have to imagine how bad a pain you're enduring that you bite your lips so hard you bite through it. Right. I mean, this girl was tortured to death. Right, yeah. Despite the letters that Sylvia had been forced to write and Gertrude's claim that Sylvia had been out prostituting herself... And that she had came home in this bruised and battered state. The police realized pretty quickly that this was a horrendous murder. So Gertie tries to tell the police that Sylvia went out because she was a prostitute. And that some people that, you know, some boys or some gangs or something had done this and left her. And then she showed up to the house in this condition. Trying to like basically say this had nothing to do with it. And as the police are there that day, Jenny Likens told them, quote, you get me out of here and I'll tell you everything, end quote. That is a a little girl who is scared to death and she just had to get out of there and she had to watch her sister be tortured. She told authorities all about the torture and the abuse The neighborhood children also at this point tell authorities about the months of abuse that was inflicted on Sylvia at Gertrude's insistence and encouragement. Did anybody ever, do we know, did any of the neighborhood kids get in trouble at all? We're going to talk about that. Because, yeah. Some of them did, some of them did not. It's all fun and games. Oh, we can play, you know, fucking... Beat the pinata, fucking beat the Sylvia pinata all goddamn day. Oh, but she did. Oh, oh God, yeah, they were being. It was abuse, fucking for months. Fuck you. Like I don't care. All these neighborhood children, I don't care who you are. Fuck you. At this point in time, if you're still alive, fuck you. Like, and I'm sorry that I'm using that, the f word, but. Fuck you. Like, that's... You deserve all the freaking pain that you get. Because you had the you had the ability to stop this. Right. Before it got to the point where she died. Before it got to the point where she was branded. Before, like, before the point that she was eating feces and drinking urine. Or raped with a Pepsi bottle. You had the... You... All... Every neighborhood child that partook in this had the ability to. 
but none of you stepped up until it was like until it was too late. And I think this case is one where we really have to look at culpability of children and you know this is something that's highly debated and we're going to talk a lot more about that as we get into the trial part of this story so six people were charged with sylvia's murder and at this point this is before laws about the death penalty and minors were in place Uh, minors in the united states can no longer be sentenced to death but in 1965 they could and all six people they sought the death penalty. Those that were charged were Gertrude Banachewski, age 37, Paula Banachewski, age 17, Stephanie Banachewski, age 15, Johnny Banachewski, age 12, Coy Hubbard, age 15, and Richard Ricky Hobbs, age 14. Before the trial even started, though, It was announced that Stephanie would be separated from the other five and the, but the other five would all be charged together. So they had one trial for five out of six of them. And in that trial, Stephanie would testify against the other defendants. I don't give a shit. Like we all, we all know where Chris is going with this one. Oh, you're going to get way more mad. I don't give don't a... Don't worry, you're going to get way more mad. Fuck what... Oh, I don't give a shit what evidence you're bringing to light. You're getting charged with murder. You're getting the death... Like, you deserve everything. Like, there should... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, it's gonna... You're going to get so much more mad. There were a lot of objections raised from each of the defendant's lawyers, including motions to separate all of their trials... Motions to dismiss the charges against the juveniles, basically saying that juveniles aren't capable of committing a crime because they're juveniles. Motions to change the venue due to media coverage. But all of these motions were denied by the judge. Gertie's defense was that she was sick and she claimed that she was in bed throughout most of the time that Sylvia lived there. (laughs) Fuck you, Gertie. Well, and the, here's the thing. So she claims that she wasn't aware of the abuse going oh, on. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, oh my God. Okay, keep going. Like, let's go. She places all of the blame on her children. So this sick, sadistic woman, not bitch, only... Bitch, You were going to say it. But I you, was. She's a sick, sadistic bitch. So not only does she torture this teenager to death, encourage her children to participate, but then at trial, she turns around and blames it all on her kids. Um, She also said that she was on medication that caused her to not understand what was going on at the time. And that medication was she was on heavy doses of phenobarbital for her anxiety. So you got to remember, this is before Xanax and Ativan. (laughs) Jesus Christ, though, phenobarbital for freaking... Like, I'd be out of it, too, though. This was the 1960s. Get so a little freaking she cocaine. She claimed that she wasn't able to supervise the children because she was on phenobarbital and she was sick in bed. Mind you, though, she has an infant. Right. In oh her Oh, my house. God. Can you... <laughs> Forget there's a baby Is she house. breastfeeding the infant? While I have no oh idea. Oh, my God. I have no that idea. That baby must have been enjoying life. I would think so. Only... And I'm only, only saying because that because... she couldn't because, afford formula. Exactly. At this point in time, like, when you lived in poverty, you couldn't afford formula. Formula was for rich people. 
Paula's attorney defended her by stating that the extreme poverty that the family lived in caused so much built up resentment and anger and that Paula just needed a target for her anger. And so he said that Sylvia became the target for her anger, but the real reason Sylvia had been murdered was because of systemic poverty. I need your opinion on this. We're not going to go into that. Like, oh, no, I need your opinion okay, on this. So we're just going to say that because you're poor, you get to beat the shit out of people. That's basically what they're saying at this point. Yes. Like, oh, you're oh, you're poor, so you get to take it out on somebody else that I guarantee you probably isn't living the best life beforehand. No, it seems like, like she I'm had sorry. a very fractured life. Anyways. Like she, her parents were separated and freaking back together and separated and back together. Like her parents weren't there because they're carny folk. Like you can't tell me that. Oh, like that. That's the reason. That's right. the reason is because. What? It's not like she was a quote unquote rich kid, right? That was taken in and beat to like. Then maybe that could possibly be an excuse. No, fuck that. It couldn't be an excuse. Not for like, what they did to her. Like for what you did to Sylvia, this has no merit at all. No, no merit at all. Like I don't like I understand why the defense attorney's trying to bring it up. They gotta have some kind of defense. But yeah, that's their job. So they grasped at. A very poor straw. Johnny and Coy shared an attorney, which is something that would never happen today in no. co-defendants, ever. But no. they did. And he presented the defense, basically, that Coy and Johnny were too young to be tried for murder because they were too young to appreciate their actions. How old were they? Uh, they were 15. 14 and, and Johnny was 12. Yeah, go fuck yourself. You know, and, and I can see, like... Even maybe at 12 being a little, I don't know. But, I can, okay, so I could But see. you can still, like, and Johnny Banachewski may have been 12, but he was pretty sadistic himself. And the right. movie does a good job of showing you how sadistic he was. Like, he really took pleasure in the torture. Ricky Hobbs' defense basically centered around his mother. She actually died the same day as Sylvia died but she died of cancer and basically what his defense attorney said is that this was a man or a boy rather who was losing his mother to cancer and had the influence of an adult woman over him speaking of Gertie and I don't know basically they just try to make you feel sorry for him because his mom died right and Ricky is the one that was supposedly having sexual relations possibly yes but we don't know and this is also the, band the one that, who finished the branding the, yeah like yeah go fuck yourself Ricky the attorneys for the boys, all three boys, claimed that the boys were guilty of assault, but not murder. Now, that one I found just a little bit interesting. And I'm not well, saying that I agree with it or at all, because I don't. But it is interesting. In a case like this, where this girl was tortured over an extended period of time, how do you decide what injuries led to her death and which ones didn't. Well, I mean, so and her official cause of death was brain hemorrhage, malnutrition, and hypovolemic shock, correct? Right. Okay, so the brain hemorrhage we can probably from getting hit by Coy Hubbard with the broom handle. Right. So that so he's automatically that's murder one for that. Malnutrition, I blame every kid that lived in that house. 
because all of them had, all of them are old enough and had the ability to give her food, but did not. It's true. It's, it's well, same. Johnny gave her food. He just made her eat it with her fingers. It. Cool. I know. I'm just saying. We're not, we're not picking. We're not picking those straws. You're just gonna get me <laughs> pissed. The hypovolemic shock, which is indicative of dehydration. I believe that goes hand in hand with the malnutrition. Everybody in that house could have gave her a drink of water, but none of them did. Now, the question is, did they do it on their own volition? Or did they do it because Gertie had that much power over them? Well, so, I, so, Coy Hubbard is definitely, okay, you're murder one. Gertie, definitely murder. Like, that's a charge for murder, I think. The other kids... What about Paula? She's 17 and very much participating. Well, Paula would... Yeah, I mean... But that's when you start... That's when you have to start breaking it down, though. Because all of the kids hit her. Right. Like... And, and, and the prosecution did not... They declined to charge Marie and Shirley Banachewski, who were, I believe, 11 and 8... And I think it's because their participation was less than the other children and because they were so young. But I could be mistaken. It doesn't matter. At this point... But even the seven-year-old boy who is not even displayed in the movie, um, even he participated. You know? Like, but they didn't didn't charge all the neighborhood kids. Um, They did have... A lot of them, including Shirley and Marie Banachewski, testify. Which is a damn shame. You know, they did have a, them testify, but they, which, did, they didn't try a lot of the kids. They tried the ones they felt were the most involved. Now, um, this is where it gets kind of crazy, and this is where you're going to get upset. Gertrude Banachewski was found guilty of first-degree murder, and she was sentenced to die in the electric chair. Good job, Indiana. Ride that lightning. Paula Banachewski was found guilty of second-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. Good job, Indiana. Bullshit. Well, she was sentenced to life in prison, so I'm fine with a 17-year-old being sentenced to life. Was it without the possibility of parole, or was it... It don't matter. It's going to get more fucked up anyway, so just... Just wait. Okay. Well, thanks for ruining it. Johnny Banachewski and Coy Hubbard were found guilty of manslaughter and were sentenced to 2 to 21 years. Bullshit. Bullshit. We have... Coy was the one that hit her. Like, there is physical proof that there was a brain hemorrhage that was caused by the... Freaking... Broom handle. Broom handle. Like, that's bullshit. Johnny... Yeah, we'll get back to that one. But he Koi should definitely get that murder in the first. Oh, you're going to get so much more mad as I continue to tell you the story. Richard Hobbs, the one who branded her, was found guilty of manslaughter as well, and he too was sentenced to 2 to 21 years. Johnny, who was 12, was at the time the youngest person sent to prison in the history of the state of Indiana at that time. The prosecutor in this case called this the worst crime in Indiana history. And I think he's probably right. It's like Indiana history, like United States history. Stephanie Banachewski never did face trial. Fuck. Well, well, it's not all the prosecution's fault. The prosecution did um, 
called a grand jury, and the grand jury declined to indict her. So the grand jury did not feel like there was sufficient evidence. You got to remember, too, her being tried separately had a big part to do with that because if she's tried separately, then actions of other people are not necessarily relevant so that they're going to be able to stop a lot of that evidence. Right. So, And I think they probably knew that they weren't going to get an, an indictment for her. But she testified against the other defendants, and so they just they made a deal, basically, is what it comes down to. They took a gamble, and it was a gamble the state lost. Johnny Coy and Richard Hobbs each served two years and well, were released on God parole. damn it, Indiana. I was thinking that it was going to be good. Like, you were doing so, so good. So good. But, like, this is one of the... For, I mean, let me guess. They got parole for good behavior. And probably because they were so young, to be honest. Bullshit. Like, you tried... Like, this is one thing I don't like. Like, you tried them for manslaughter, gave them 2 to 21 years. You cannot put age... Like, the age has no effect to that at all then. Like, I'm sorry. That pisses me off. Like, just because they're teenagers... They still had, like, they were tried, convicted, and sentenced to this. Right. And they were all released well before the age of 18. Right. Uh, Ricky Hobbs actually died of of lung cancer himself at age 21. There must have been some bad cancer genes in that family because he's the one whose mother died of cancer. Right. And then he died at 21 of lung cancer. John Banachewski went to live with his father, and he eventually changed his last name to Blake. When he grew up, he became a minister, and he often talked about the murder, and he showed, a lot of people said he showed true remorse for his role, and and when he got older, he talked about it and, you know, how evil had overcame him and how he was able to overcome that and find Jesus, and... well. I hope to God that that was genuine and that he truly was remorseful. And he was 12. So I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying that it's okay. But I do think a 12-year-old is capable of of changing. I don't think that a 12-year-old that even participates in something like this is necessarily doomed for the rest of his life. Right. Um, Like, as long as, like, like you said, I pray to God that it was true remorse and he truly repented. He died in 2005 at the age of 52. Damn. Coy Hubbard remained in Indiana. He was eventually tried for another murder in 1982, but was acquitted. They found him not guilty, and I don't know any details about that, other than he obviously didn't stay out of trouble. Right. Um, He was in and out of jail and legal trouble like his entire life. And after the movie about this case called An American Crime premiered in 2007, Coy was fired from his job when people, you know, realized about his history. And he died just a few months later. Paula gave birth shortly before her conviction so she was indeed pregnant to a baby girl that she named Gertrude. Oh, go screw yourself. Right? Like you Right? Like I would I would love to see fucking Gertie's face when she realized that her daughter was the one that was really pregnant and that all of this shit, everything you did to Sylvia was for naught because your daughter is a fucking liar and got you to freaking like turn hand like justice onto her. 
Right. Like, fuck you. And then you name her after your mom? Right. Like, what kind of, like, I hope whoever adopted that baby said, fuck, no, nope, we're not damning her Gertrude. I hope so, too. And you can see on the blog, and, and we're looking at it right now, you can see the smirk on this girl's face. She was not fucking remorseful. No, not at she all. She didn't give two shits about what she did. In 1971, Paula had attempted to escape from prison. Um, but soon after that, she actually won an appeal and was granted a new trial because they said that the first trial jury was affected by a prejudicial atmosphere and that the defendants should have been tried separately. So she was given a new trial. So that life well. sentence was just thrown out the window. This time she chose to plead guilty to manslaughter and was sentenced to 2 to 21 years. Fuck, come on. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you, are you fucking kidding me? God, like, how the hell does second degree murder get taken off and it's a plea bargain down to manslaughter? It gets worse. On December 2nd, 1971, Paula escaped from prison again, only to be recaptured December 20th of the same year. So despite the fact that she escaped from prison, not once, but twice, in 1974, she was granted parole. So she, she saw, <sighs> escaped from prison three years old, or three years later gets granted parole. So How what, the hell does that happen? What year did, was the original trial? Uh, the murder happened in 1965, and so she probably went, would have went to prison in 1966. So she served a total of less than 10 Eight years. years. Eight years. Eight years on a second-degree murder charge that had a life... And escaped twice. And escaped, like, fuck God damn, Indiana. How? How do you get granted <sighs> parole with a prison escape? I didn't even think that was possible. Not just one, two of them. Right. There was two fucking escapes. Gertrude Banachewski was also granted a new trial in 1971 based off the same grounds that Paula was granted one. She went to trial again and once again was found guilty of first degree murder. This time, however, she was sentenced to life in prison and she was spared the death penalty. Whatever, we still got life in prison. Like, hallelujah, amen. In prison, she changed her name to Nadine Van Fossen and she was a, quote, Model prisoner. Oh, go fuck yourself. Quote. Go fuck yourself. If you tell me she got out early, I'm going to fucking flip the fucking desk. Don't fucking <laughs> tell me this, Gina. Because I can't handle this shit. She was known as the mom to other prisoners. Oh, and my God. In 1976, she came up for parole, and at first she was denied. And when she was denied, she told the press that she was okay with that because she loved being in prison because she had a nice bed, she had meals, she had television access, and it was so much better than her poverty-stricken life. However, in 1985, she was granted parole. Fuck you. Fucking fuck. Like, I knew it was coming. She served 19 years. As soon as you said model prisoner, because God knows that those are Chris's fucking trigger words. Oh, yes. They like, are. we all know that, like, fuck you. Like, I'm sorry, there's nothing that can be done to, with this person that can show me that a model model behavior or a model prisoner has changed and she has any remorse for what the hell she's done. No, none. Like, all the shit that she put through 
that she put Sylvia through, she gets out after 19 fucking years. Right. And gets to live her life. Like... And uh, it was like... So many people were outraged. Like, you're not alone. When this happened in 1985, there were so many victim rights advocate advocates that, that protested her release. They even contacted President Ronald Reagan at the time and asked him if he could intervene. But he said he was powerless to prevent the parole board. I mean, he doesn't have jurisdiction on the state level. You know, but like, it, not, you're completely right. It was like a this total is- miscarriage of justice. It's, it's, she served 19 years, 19 fucking years for this crime, for the torture, for the worst crime imaginable. I can't imagine a crime worse than this one. Like, I really can't. Like she got to live more years in prison than Sylvia did free. Right. And you're like, you're being like, oh, she's a model prisoner. People call her mom. Yeah. Do the people know what kind of mom she really fucking is? Right. Do they know what kind of monster that this mom, like, consider like really is? Like, and I'm sorry, but like, and I know I'm blowing people's ears out with this shit, but like, damn, like this cannot. It's disgusting. It's the worst miscarriage of justice I think we've ever covered. Um, but. Being her COPD and self, it, she was released in 1985, but she only had five years of freedom. Five years too many. Five, five more years of freedom than Sylvia did. Absolutely. Five, wait, five more years of, more than she should have. You didn't fucking put like, and this is what pissing me off. You didn't fucking give Sylvia the chance to be paroled. You didn't right. give Sylvia the chance to become a model prisoner. You didn't give Sylvia ch- that, like any chances like that. So why the fuck did you get the chance? Because our justice system is fucked. It is. Like, and I, I know, once again, this is a rabbit hole. Once we know that model prisoner is Chris's trigger word. We cannot say that with me and not have me go on a 20-minute tirade of why pieces of shit like this shouldn't ever get out of fucking jail just because they can fake it for so many years. The scum of the earth are always the model prisoners. Like when you said that she's they're sociopaths. They they know how to to sell themselves to When people. you said that she was denied parole, I was like, "Great. That's great." But then like she gets parole fucking what? 9, uh, years, nine years after. 9 that. years later. Like and she's saying, "Oh, cuz I love it in prison because I've got nice beds and hot meals and TV." Go fuck yourself. Where was that passion? Like where was the compassion when you had Sylvia down in the fucking Basement. Torturing this When you had Sylvia tied up and, like, having kids laughing and beating the shit out of her. And eating, like, having her eat shit and drink pee and freaking all this other shit. Like, there was zero compassion, like, with you. Like, with that. Oh, yeah. She's disgusting. But yet you get compassion from the state. Right. Like, that blows my fucking mind. Mine, too. It blows my fucking mind. Mine, too, love. Mine, too. And the picture we got on the blog, she looks like a fuck, like, she looks like she would do that kind of shit. Yeah. And the picture um, down towards the end of the blog is shortly before she passed away in 1990 of lung cancer. The younger Banachewski children, like I said, they were not charged. They were raised um, by their father. Dennis Wright Jr. was adopted by a separate family, and he was raised um, far away from his crazy ass family and this is the part that almost makes me cry in a way but it ended up okay 
Jenny Likens was once again left by her parents. How the fuck? Like, okay, you don't deserve to be parents. You had a daughter murdered and beat to death and tortured. And a lot of people agree and felt like that her parents were to blame. Now, I'm not going to say they were to blame for the murder, but they were certainly to blame for not doing their due diligence on the Banachewskis. But then after this is all over, you leave your minor daughter again. This time, though, they left her with the deputy prosecutor of the murder case. And this time she was given a nice, stable home and a good life. Good. At least... Thank God. Thank God. Um, unfortunately, she died in 2004 of a heart attack. It seems like nobody in this case, with the exception of Paula Banachewski, really lived past their 50s. Um, in 2012, an Iowa teacher's aide named Paula Pace was fired after 14 years of working at the school district when an anonymous tip led the school to learn Paula's true identity. Paula was Paula Banachewski, who had changed her name and lied about her criminal history when she applied to the school district in 1998. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say anything. Well, I'm going to because our school districts need to do a better freaking job if in 1998 we're hiring people that were once in prison for murder. How do you not? How? And she wasn't a licensed teacher or anything like that. But still, you have to do background checks. How in the hell did they not know that until 14 years later when somebody else figured it out and tipped you off? Like, did they not do a background check with social security number? I guess not. I'm not going to say anything, though. Like, this, I'm... And so she was allowed to work with children for 14 years. And then it was just an anonymous tip. In another weird twist, Diana Bedwell, who was the older sister of Sylvia Likens, was found stranded in the wilderness in 2015. She and her husband of 25 years had gotten lost in the California backcountry, and they were stranded there for two weeks. By the time they rescued Diana, her husband, who was a diabetic, had already passed away. The couple were listed as missing persons in California for two weeks prior to being discovered. That's just like a weird, what the hell? You know, has nothing to do with the murder case. Just a weird, random thing. Sylvia Likens was an innocent child. I mean, 16 is a child. She was targeted by Gertrude Banachewski as the focus of her frustrations. I think Gertrude had a bad life. She lived in poverty. She had seven children and no husband. And I think she was jealous. I think she was jealous of Sylvia and Sylvia's future. And she realized her daughter had made the mistake. God, in today's society, getting pregnant at 17 is not that big of a... Like, it's it's a big deal, but no. it's not like life ending. Schools but in the work 60s, around it. Like, schools, schools actually work around that shit now. But I get in the 60s that was right. sort of brandy or whatever. And I think she was jealous. And they... In the book that I read, they actually said as she was carving and having Ricky Hobbs finish the carving about her being a prostitute into her stomach, she had made a comment about... Who's going to marry you now, Sylvia? So I think that she knew that her daughter was, quote, damaged goods, end quote. And I think that she was jealous that Sylvia was young. 
She was still virtuous. Um, on autopsy, they said she had never been pregnant and they could not tell with 100% certainty because of the sexual assault, but they thought that she was most likely a virgin based off the physical exam. Um, and because her daughter wasn't, I think she was jealous. She was jealous that Sylvia had chances in her life to be better than they were. Regardless of what that motive is, though, she was just pure evil. She recruit how evil. How do you recruit your children to torture someone? And then not only do you recruit your children to participate you in encourage evil, them. Like you're, you recruit, like, you encourage, and then you branch lay out. them out to dry on trial and blame everything on them. I mean, it takes a sick son of a bitch to do that. Well, she's a model fucking prisoner. Oh, she's mom of the prison. This case has fascinated true crime fans, lawyers, psychologists, psychiatrists, and many others because they talk about the effect of mob mentality. Would any of these children have done this on their own volition if not encouraged by the other children? Now, Paula Banachewski, I think, is a psycho and would have. Yeah. The younger kids, would these 10-year-olds and 8-year-olds and 11-year-olds and even the 14-year-olds had done this if there wasn't this whole mob mentality of it being okay? And I doubt they would have. Yeah, I mean... Would they you maybe would have punched her, but like, I don't think you're going to sit there and torture somebody unless... You think it's okay. Right. Not only was it okay, it was the cool thing to do. You know... So this case has been studied a lot because of that. The neighborhood kid, neighborhood kids made entertainment out of this. Why didn't any of them speak up? Why didn't any of the neighbors report it? When it, this case went to trial, neighbors testified they could hear screaming from that home. Screaming as this girl was put into scalding hot baths and her skin burned off of her body. But they didn't say anything. Why didn't Sylvia and Jenny tell their parents about it? Why didn't they try to escape? Well, I can tell you, like, I honestly... Because they were scared to death. They were I scared think. to death. Like, Sylvia was the brunt of everything at this point. Like, at the... toward Like, even toward the, like, beginning of it. It was... Sh Gertrude had a hatred for Sylvia. She did. And... If, if they would have told their parents, it would have just gotten worse. Most likely. And even, and I, I, honestly, I think that's what happens with Jenny as well. If Jenny tells her parents, she might not take the brunt of it, but Sylvia's going to get it worse. Right. And I don't blame Jenny or her parents for what happened. And I don't blame her parents for Sylvia's torture and murder, but I do blame them for not doing their due diligence by their daughter. But... I don't know what the circumstances were at this time because it seems like 15-year-old Benny was just what... I don't even know where he was. He was living with somebody else. I, I have no idea. It didn't seem like these were the kind of people that really kept a tight grip on their kids, right. to be fair. As a result of this case, the Sylvia's Child Advocacy Center was formed in Sylvia Likens' legacy. The case also led to changes in laws in the state of Indiana that included the introduction of the mandated reporter law. This law requires that anyone suspecting child abuse has the obligation to report it to law enforcement. 
Although her life cannot be given back, perhaps her legacy and the laws that resulted from this tragic case can save another child's life. I told you guys this was going to be a hard one. And I'm going to apologize right now for the language at the end of this. Like, I know a lot of people don't like hearing. But this is this is this an emotion-provoking un- case because it's so beyond terrible. It's, it's beyond the grasp of reality. If somebody were to tell me before I heard this case that somebody actually did this to another human being. I'd be like, that's bullshit. Like, nobody's that sadistic. Nobody is that... on Like, it, nobody has little heart. That little of a heart more to do... More or less children. More, yeah, more or less children. And, like, and oh, it wasn't just, like, the family children. It was the neighborhood kids. Right. Like, you couldn't tell me before hearing this story that this happened. Right. I'd be like, that's bullshit. Somebody had to say something. Right. But nobody said a word. It's... And, that's what hurts my heart the most is that it took her dying before anybody said something right and then everybody's like oh i i know what happened and it's the stories like these that get to me the most and they're the hardest for us to do without getting very emotional in it I would be more concerned if we didn't get emotional. Right. Like, you know, we... I don't think I could tell this story And not be emotional. And how, just, how can you not? And not We're be... We're human. Especially knowing that everybody got off scot-free. Pretty much. Nobody spent more than... 19, 19 years. And... Only and, one and, person even spent more than 10. And one of them... Was like a teacher's assistant for 14 of those years. 14 years. They all led a life afterwards. A lot of them died younger, especially Ricky Hobbs. He died really young. But but they had the ability to live. They had an opportunity. An opportunity they did not give Sylvia Likens. And, you know, it was funny, too, because even at trial, they asked, like, what kind of stuff that she did wrong that she was being punished for, and nobody could come up with anything. Right. They didn't even know why she was being punished. And I say punished very loosely because this is not punishment. This is... In, the, in their eyes, it was torture. In, the, in, the, in, in the, their eyes, it was punishment. And I... I don't know. It, it's just sad. The whole story is just beyond devastating sad. Um, the movie is called In American Crime, and it debuted in 2007. And I highly recommend it. It's very close to the actual story. They, they kind of filed. They they fudged some of the timeline, but all they followed of, it pretty close. All of the story, like the stories, there. Some of the more gruesome things were left out, like the eating of the feces and drinking of urine. But for the most part, the rest of it's pretty pretty on on target. And um, there's also a book about this case. Um, that I read and it was written actually by a reporter who covered the case at that time um and it's called House of Evil the Indiana Torture Slaying and there, the rest of the list of resources it can be found on our website it's www.themidwestcrimefiles.com 
and you can also see a lot of pictures I'm gonna give you guys a warning there is a picture on there um, I did not include the picture that you can find on the internet that shows Sylvia's body when she was found but I did include an up-close shot of where she had been branded so I'm just gonna warn you it may be disturbing you can always scroll past it if you're not interested but i'm just letting you know that there are some there is at least one image that you will find graphic and, and that's why i had to record the intro the, a separate intro for this one guys we know that we're true crime people and we you know we like hearing this kind of stuff but there's certain cases that are just beyond comprehension this is a case where like i couldn't even just normally i write the case and, and chris learns about it as we go with the exception of the trials and stuff he knew about the rest of this case ahead of time because i said i don't even know how i can write this story and do it justice like i yeah. needed him to help me wrap my head around this that's how badly this story has affected us all right I'm not, there's no jokes for the end of this one. No, there certainly is not. Right. Um, make sure to like and follow us on Facebook. And you can also follow us um, on wherever you get your podcasts from. And you can also subscribe to our blog on our web on our webpage, www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. And we will see you guys next week with a brand new and slightly less disturbing episode. All right. See you guys. Bye. Thank you.